bless each one. Uh, Brother Lyndon, you wouldn't have needed to tell him my comment about how I felt about it. I, I got through that. It, when I found out about all three, two this morning, one this evening, it did take me a little bit to work through it. But so many people were praying, I decided I wasn't going to waste time talking about how hard it was. But um, I am glad to be kind of almost on this side of it. But we really have enjoyed being here. And thank you for being uh, hospitable and opening your doors to us. And um, just really glad to learn to know new people and, and uh, reacquaint with old friends. And we do invite you to come to Dublin to visit us. And I would like to thank, your, thank you for your kindness in sharing. The treasurer gave us a check, and it was... It was more than it would have needed to be. But we thank you for your kindness and uh, certainly wish you God's blessing. Now, building the kingdom as a family. I don't know if I'm quite finished with everything from this morning, but we're going to try to get it. And eventually we'll uh, maybe go where the committee, I hope, the, I hope it feels what the committee was looking for when they planned the program. But what kind of a family will it take to build the kingdom? right here in the bank congregation in this area? What kind of a family is going to take in this community? You know, I thought about it as we, as we looked at marriage, child training, and I wondered if each of us would just kind of rate from one to ten, you know, where we are in our, say, in our marriages, maybe in our child training, and then think about what are we going to do? I know I kind of asked the same questions this morning, but in a little different way. If we rate where you are, and now are we ready to go home and make it work and see if we can't move the needle a little bit? Um, Make the changes that are needed. And I, I talked about it this morning about people has issues to deal with. And I want to reemphasize to don't neglect, to don't just push them off and don't act like you don't. Don't make a facade. Don't come to church with your veneer on and look like good saints and but yet know that down inside <clears throat> Things are falling apart and we need help. Or maybe not even not falling apart, but there's struggles there and we need help. Do what it takes to um, for for your marriage to grow and to build family and end up a solid builder in the kingdom of God. I trust that. I believe you're of the caliber that you want to make the adjustments needed and um, to, uh, to have homes that are builders in the kingdom. I was going to say that a number of you, there was a few of the men that said that they needed steel toe Sunday shoes, that I was stepping on your toes this morning. I want to apologize for that. I was really aiming for your heart. And if I miss and hit your toes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't give a lot of directions to families per se. 
But the principles there are clear and make all the difference in the direction of a family. I would like you to turn to Ephesians 4, and I want to read verses 1 through 7, and I would like you to think about it from a family perspective. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, the profession wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness. Boy, we had some of those words this morning, didn't we? With long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Over to verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight or by the cleverness of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. And we could talk, just apply this, <coughs> excuse me, to the congregation, or we can apply it to um, us as families. Now, and thinking about the, the subject tonight, what should we emphasize? The building or the kingdom or the family? I believe that one of the most powerful witnesses for the kingdom is a happy family that is sold out to the lordship of Jesus. Think about, think about families that you know where it was just evident that mom and dad both loved the Lord their houses that were havens in the church and in the community, and they reached out in service to be a help to others. What a powerful witness for the kingdom of God. What stands out more in today's world than a man and a woman who are happy together and can express that happiness? You know how unusual that is for a man to express appreciation and love to someone else about his good wife? Kind of unusual in today's society. And when this man and woman are happy together and they welcome children in their home where they realize children are assets, they're like olive plants we read this morning, and olive plants are assets, just like our crops, except it was even almost like more than that in the Jewish economy. A family who disciplines the children and teach values and principles and as a unit then reach out to the community. I don't know of any more powerful witness. You can come up with all kinds of programs and all kinds of things to do to spread the gospel which are good. But I don't know of anything more powerful than a family like that, like was just described. And what is more needed in our churches today? than families that fit in this description. We need it. I know at least down our way, we need it. We need it. Thinking about the passage that we read, it was written to a congregation. And that's what I think we need to remember when we read the epistles. They weren't written to like one person. 
And we just claim the promises for ourselves, where well, they are for ourselves, but they were written to a brotherhood. Paul could have written a letter to the church, to the Bank Mennonite Church, and it would have been to all of you to apply together. It was not one person or just one family. And we don't expect to have strong families that can get it together so well that they don't need the brotherhood. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think, I believe that when families are, like what I'm trying to describe, I believe we get to the point where we see how much we need the brotherhood rather than thinking we stand out above the brotherhood. <clears throat> and I believe the principles of the, this passage and what I've been teaching are attainable for every family and should not be the exception. These are goals that can be strived for. Will we always do right? Will we never do anything wrong? No, I'm not, I'm not speaking some just level of perfection that sounds like a little story paper or something. We do make mistakes, but when dad and mom can be humble enough to say I'm sorry, to make amends, to go forward, this is attainable. <clears throat> Again, Paul talked of so many qualities in here that we talked about this morning. Humility, such a needed ingredient in our homes. And we talked of meekness and patience and forbearance working together and the, the peace bond. He talked of maturity in verse 14. Controlled speech and growing up in 15. Growing up in Christ. I think we need that one where we grow up in Christ. And Christ has to be foremost in our life, first in our life, our go-to in life. He's writing, he's writing this to a congregation and we apply it individually and as families and as brotherhood. It all works together. And we also need leaders who can give an authoritative no. I talked about that this morning about parents and admonition to the church leaders. You know, we, we need to be able to give an authoritative no, not in a yelling voice like we talked about this morning, but just where, so we know where the lines are. You have, I don't mean to be, mean to be hard-shelled and hard-nosed, but you have, you call it rules of disciplines, right? We call ours the decrees for to keep. You know the, the lines that your congregation conference has made then go by that. And leaders have the, I was almost going to say the right, but they have the responsibility of seeing that we walk that way. And so I, I give a word to the leaders about just being able to say no in a kind and a caring way. Sometimes, you know, I appreciate it when people come and ask about something. And sometimes we just have to say, well, well, no. No, not in our brotherhood. It, it just won't work. But we can say it in a kind and caring way. And we have to take hold on issues. And this is the same way it is in families. <clears throat> Verse 16 in the Amplified, Ephesians 4.16, says, From him, that's Jesus, the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies when each part is working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. 
The same principle fits for a family. Every part contributes to the whole. Children, you have a part in your family. Young people, you, you play a part in your family. And you have a responsibility, and, and, and of course, dad, mom is, are the responsible ones, but the children can, can make it, the load so much lighter by realizing that we need to work together. Every joint supplies a part. And I, I think it is just such a beautiful thing when children join in with parents and when there's happiness in the home and when you can sit around and sing and when you have devotion together. I remember a time that we had our, quite a few of our children were in the upper teens and some were teaching school and some were this and that, but our house was, plus we had two school teachers living with us and it was like almost mature adults. They still sometimes would get a, get a little silly streak when we were having devotion or something, and I never could quite figure out what, what tickled them so bad, but they could get so tickled, even got their mother tickled, then I was really up the creek. <laughs> but those are good times, and then we would, we would sing together. We just enjoyed singing so much, and I remember back then thinking, I wish there was a button I could push, and it would just pause hold it right there, but it didn't. Now we're down, our, old, our youngest son is the only one in, in our house with us, and he's 28 years old, and we still have good times. Every phase of life, I believe, has special joys, and uh, maybe, maybe even some special, um, yeah, responsibilities and hard things to work with. Well, <clears throat> every joint, every, every part needs to work together. Working together is the representation of Christ's kingdom on earth. I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God because we're talking about, we want to talk about building kingdom and we need to be, understand a little bit about the kingdom of God if we understand now what, what are we going to do if we're building family, um, building the kingdom as a family well, what is a family supposed to be building? I think this teaching is very important today about the kingdom of God. When Jesus came to preach, what did he say? Did he come and say, you need to get saved so you don't go to hell? That's not what he taught. I mean, that's still true. You do, if you're not saved, you'll go to hell. But Jesus preached and he said, and the disciples, they preached, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he invited to come into his kingdom. And I don't want to belabor that, but a kingdom has to have a king, a territory, and a people. And we know that Christ is our king. The territory, his territory is the earth. And the people are all those that come to him. He came to his own and they didn't receive him. But to those that received him gave he the right to become the sons of God, to call him king and to enter into his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, we're in his kingdom today. It's not just something that's going to come down the road sometime and then, then we'll do everything. No, we're in it today. When we get saved, we enter his kingdom. And we need to realize that fathers, leaders, we enter his kingdom today. And I believe that we have been affected and infected by modernization and affluence and culture 
to where we have been able to pursue creature comfort so much to the point that we tend to think that life is pretty much about self. And so what happens... <clears throat> what happens when we think about becoming a Christian? I think too often people think about Christianity a little bit like they think about joining the country club. What's in it for me? If I join the club, I can do this and I can do that and I have the right to this and right to that. And finally, if it's good enough, okay. And, we join, and, and accept Jesus. Well, if I accept Jesus, this and that. That's not what it's about. Enter his kingdom and he is king and you're his subject. That's what he wants from us. And I believe that this has created an independence in believers in general, which produces a lack of appreciation and need for brotherhood. Um, we've been influenced by American Christianity to proclaim long and loud of the grace and the love and the mercy of God and forgiveness of our Savior, resulting in a neglect to holy living and sanctification and obedience to the King. And when that happens and, and we're just, and, and don't get me wrong, we glory in the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus and of our loving Father. But he also calls us to be subjects in his kingdom. The, the foundational point in the Christian life is when we come to him, what do we do? If I had a board, I may draw a picture of, of the cross and Jesus is on it and draw a throne and we put ourselves on it. And that's how when, when we come to Christ, we have to trade places. We put, we want Jesus to be on the throne of our life and we get on the cross, crucify the old flesh. And when it's not about self anymore, but it's about Jesus. It's about us living for him. That's when we enter the kingdom. I believe that it's a temptation to be acculturated, just kind of slide into our culture with our history and our culture and our heritage and lose focus on our king. Now you're in a community that's very different than where we live. And I, I'm really intrigued driving around and seeing all the farms. I really like it and seeing all the Mennonite names on the mailboxes and, and uh, meeting people and figuring out, oh yeah, I know who you know and I'll, you know, do the little Mennonite game. And, but is it a possibility that we can kind of fit in our groove? Well, we're, you know, we're southeastern and we're here and there's Pilgrim is over here. And, well, it's not any in, in this area that I know of. But you can put, fit in all the other churches packed around in here and somehow fit in our own little groove. And so we become to where we think it becomes about who we are. And we try to preserve who we are, distinguishable from these other groups. Is that, a, is that a possibility? And losing focus on our king? Now, if I'm saying something and you have no idea, if you don't understand it, say that's not a, Well, then just forget it. But we need to remember that it's about us as a congregation and us as a family serving him. It doesn't, you know, you see this roof peaks and it's not about us. It's about him. 
It's about Jesus being our king. And everything you do should be about the focus on, king, on the king. He's given us his word. He's told us how to live. We're not dense and dumb. We can read the Bible. We know what it says and apply it to our life. It's about him. And I think our prayer should be, God, help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. And the things that you don't care about, we don't care about. I believe with all my heart that when Jesus set up his kingdom on earth, that God wanted a people who would demonstrate to the world what life is like in his kingdom. Now I want you to stay with me. I believe he wants our homes to be live demonstrations to the best of our ability of what life will be like in heaven. Is that too much? Did I say too much? Do you agree with that? Thank you, brother. He wants your home to demonstrate what the qualities and the characteristics of what's going to be in heaven. I told you before, you know, we won't be perfect, but that's what he wants our homes to be. And we are to demonstrate this while being affected by and living in a sin-cursed earth. See, Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is where? In heaven. And so remember that tomorrow, next day, and next week, next month. About your home is to demonstrate on earth what he wants in heaven and what will be when he reigns over all, we're with him and... I, all that. And we can live it. This is part of being in his kingdom now. We left the kingdom. How many kingdoms are there today? There's just two. It's either the devil's kingdom or it's Christ's kingdom. And we all were Christian people. We've left the devil's kingdom. We've entered into Christ's kingdom. We're still here on this sin-cursed earth. We still get sick. Things still go wrong. People disappoint us. But our focus is on our Father. And we represent him. And we're thinking about in our home in particular tonight. No longer hemmed in by dogma and rules that we think restrict. But free with joy in this brotherhood and calling we're in to teach the gospel of the kingdom. And I, I'm going to have to say just a little bit more about that because... Paul talked about it to the Corinthians. He said, um, we have not restricted you. You're restricted in your own emotions is what he was saying. And I forget exactly what chapter that is. Second Corinthians, I believe. And I have seen, I believe in almost every church group, there are people that think that they're being restricted because, okay, your, your rules and discipline, maybe the confinement, well, I'm going to just say it's right here. And There'll be people, I'd be quite sure you're human enough that think, boy, if we could just get over this line and move it over, then we'd be happy. It's just so restrictive. And the spirit, you know, and it can come to our church and maybe we allow a few things you don't. We disallow a few things you do. And there are people there that eventually, you know, well, this is the restriction and it's just, it's just hampering me. And, and you could go all the way from the strictest of Christianity to the most liberal and I see about the same thing happening. And you know what else? I've seen people in prison 
that are in the confines of prison that have the joy of the Lord and the restrict the constrictions are gone. They serve him with joy in their heart and freedom in spirit. I think when we love God and love his principles, <laughs> we can be free where you are. You can serve God with an open heart right here in the Southeastern Conference, the bank congregation. And I believe you can at home and Pilgrim Conference, wherever you are. Don't let these, these things be dogma and rules that restrict. Look to God and what he wants for the foundation, for the principles of life that he's outlined in his word. And when your heart is to be, I'll just say to be modest, for example, it's a plain teaching that we heritage has believed forever in the past. Well, when you're thankful that I can do that, well, then if it's not quite the way I would like to do it, it's okay. We can still keep the principle. God has to be first. Okay. The question comes, are you in his kingdom? And you have to be there before you can lead your family in the kingdom. And that's the subject for tonight. Men, are you leading your family in the kingdom? Are you following the king? Or is it easy to get so busy and wrapped up in the material things of life and we get up very early and head off to work while the children are still sleeping? And, you know, I, I can't help it, but I, and I know you're a lot more of an ag-based community than what we are down there. We, our, our farming base in the congregation seems to have shrunk. Used to, when, when it started back in the 70s, everybody, almost everybody was a dairy farmer. And, now there's no dairy farms there. And I'm, I'm glad that we had a dairy farm raising our children. It was something about it getting up in the morning and a couple of the children going out to the barn and milking together and a couple others coming out a little later feeding calves and going back to the house and eating breakfast together and having devotion and getting them off to school. There's something that didn't take away all the stress, but it was something good about that. And now I, I, it concerns me when dads have to leave early and mom has all of getting the children ready and all of getting them to school, feeding them, and, and then he comes home in the evening and tired and, oh, I have a school board meeting tonight or I have a minister's meeting or, or whatever. Men, it's a challenge. And let's make sure that we keep the first things first and that we are following the king. Now, I've... The next part, I've called it making it practical. Just in case it hasn't been practical so far, we're going to make it practical now. And now we're talking about the title is Building the Kingdom as a Family. And number one, what I've been saying all along, Jesus must be first in the home and Lord of all. In the book of Ephesians, the term in Christ is given 35 times. And so, let me just say it one more time. He must be our focus. Talking about Jesus and God and the Bible should be table talk. It should not be relegated to just Sunday going to church. I know of a man years ago, young boy years ago, that said the only time he ever saw his dad get his Bible is if he needed to have devotion at church. And I say... What a shame. What a shame. We will not build kingdom like that. Christ must be our focus of utmost importance, our go-to for everything. And, and dads, again, you're the leader in this. 
Don't neglect it and by default push it off on mom. I remember a number of years ago I was listening to a message by um, Frank Reed. Some of you may know him, but it was like a 50-year with Anabaptist, looking at Anabaptist or something like that. And he made the statement, he talked about some of the things that he saw, the biggest dangers. And I think his first one, he said, passive dads and aggressive moms produce angry children. You think about that, passive dads, aggressive moms produce angry children. Now, what is mom supposed to do if dad isn't there and, and if dad is not concise and shrugs his shoulders and doesn't take issues and what mom, what's mom supposed to do? I just remind you again that dad, you're responsible for the spiritual atmosphere of your home. You're responsible for family worship. Don't push it off. Don't let it up, make it where mom has to take it and, and, and give direction to it. It's dad's job. You're to provide much more than just the physical things for the family. Okay, that was number one. Number two, I want to talk about purity, pure parents. What do you think of when I show you this third shirt, except that it traveled up kind of, it was in a car that had a lot of boxes of coffee and it got kind of wrinkled up. And I didn't iron it. I didn't, I should have had press. But what do you think? If you just think about the shirt. Now, if I wear that shirt and I go to town, it looks pretty nice, doesn't it? Sometimes you wear that one when I fly somewhere. Nice shirt. And I guess if, I'm not going to do it here, but if I put my coat over it, my suit coat over it, yet it would really look nice, wouldn't it? And then you think about this person, wow, he must, yeah, he's a member in Mennonite church, and so, yeah, we expect a lot out of him. But does it tell anything about the person that's in the shirt? When you see the outside, look what can happen. Children, are you, are you awake? Are you listening? Are you looking? What happens when we take a look deep down inside? I guess I'm going to have to get a few more buttons open yet. What is this shirt covering up? See that? This probably isn't the first time I've preached that or mentioned it today. But you see what, it, you see what this can cover? And again, like you know, you put your, put your suit coat on top of it yet. You can fool a lot of people. I tell our congregation, I'm not hard to fool. You can cover it all up. But I want to tell you, if you want to be a builder in the kingdom, if you want a family that's going to build in the kingdom, the inside is going to have to look like the outside. It's going to have to be clean. And I'm just going to let, let this hang up here for an illustration. <clears throat> the inside and the outside need to be alike and I want you to be taking it to your heart you, you know I don't know you and I'm not trying to step on any toes tonight but I want you to think about it in your heart parents need to be at the same at home as they are in the church many a child has gotten bitter because of the hypocrisy of parents 
Jesus' most harsh words were the people that took their religious garments and cloaked it over a life of sin. He said, generation of snakes. Dad and mom, you need to be pure where the inside and the outside are the same. I talked this morning about pornography and probably, probably said enough about it, but it is one of the curses of our day. I think back when I was young and probably the, one of the biggest stumbling blocks back then, I think the devil had evil men drive down the road and throw them out the window. And later when little boys were walking along the road, they'd happen to see a magazine. And I believe that was a trick of the devil back then. But you know what happens now? It's right in our pockets if we're not careful. And it's something that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but you must, I wonder if Satan isn't giving a sarcastic grin you know, I remember when I was young, well, we moved out of Norfolk, Virginia when I was six, and Dad was concerned the way things were going. And it wasn't long after we left until they allowed the TV in the home. We moved to, <clears throat> we moved to Hepzibah. And, you know, just all of our life, we just, we just knew TV was out. And now today I've wondered would, it, would we almost be safer with the TV if it was only in the living room than we are with phones in our pockets? And I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think we can dare, us old men, I'm not just talking about you young men, but us old men, none of us need to have phones in our pockets that are not filtered and without accountability. I don't believe there's any of us here that are that strong. Do we have any amens? <laughs> and another thing I would say, if you want to build a strong family in the kingdom, stay close to your children. And when they get to the age of where they need a phone, and I know it's a lot different than years ago, but I understand. I don't believe that there's any, any young teenager that can handle all the social media and all the news and all the everything on if, if they're handed a loaded phone so to speak I don't know if there's any young person that's going to make it and dad you need to be close to your child even ungodly companies like Verizon know that children need controls and that's why they have parental controls and you can lock them down really well with that there are companies that sell phones that don't have all that stuff on them. And I believe it's just good for youngsters to not have all that stuff. Remember we talked about the reasoning and judgment. Frontal lobe in the brain isn't even developed until they get older. And dads, stay close to them. <clears throat> Number two, that was on pure parents. Keep a God-centered home that can explain the simple or complex questions 
of sexuality. Little children ask questions. And you don't need to act like it's something to just hush, hush, and be quiet and don't ask. It's so simple. Well, this is the way God made it. And, and it answers the little children's question. And they realize that these things are not dirty. Don't hush them and chase them away. It's a beautiful time to teach as the family watches. And, and you know, a lot of you have cows. And um, when a cow births a calf, well, this is just the way God made it. Teach that God made us good and he made us clean. And if you don't, the chances are high that they will think of sexuality as dirty and secretly have shameful conduct that has led many a man to prison later on. Okay, moving on. We're going we're to let the clean shirt covering the dirty shirt there to think about. Number three, teach children to love those outside of our mold. Thinking about the kingdom, spreading it, as a, building it as a family. Children naturally turn up their noses at those beneath our status, right? It just seems like it's or our dignity. And this point must be taught by example, like all the rest of them. But children will pick up fast the comments by parents of lower second-class people. I remember our parents, I'm sure Gail and I, taking us to some very, very poor people's place for singing. And it was filthy. I lived there at Hepzibah. It was, the baby was in the crib. It was in the summertime. It was hot. And the bottle was there with the crib. And flies all over the nipple. And it smelled bad in the house and it, it was bad but you know that was good for us children it was really good for us <clears throat> of course we weren't all that impressed but it made at the time but it made a, a deep impression teach your children to love those outside of our mold number four live a satisfied simple life and I, I don't know how to I struggle to know how to word this, a satisfied, simple life. Because we're in an affluent society. And it's so easy to spoil our children. I feel really blessed that my parents, our parents, yeah, mine and Sarah's both were raised in the Depression days. And they were frugal. They knew how to save and they passed that down. I don't, I don't save as much as mom did. And I don't think my, our children save as much probably as what we do. It just seems like it makes a difference. And we're in an affluent society and it's so easy to spoil our children. And I remember my dad saying that the people now, they want to start up when they get married. They want to start up with the big spoon just like their dad and mom ended up with. <laughs> and, you know, we want whatever conveniences dad and mom have. Well, it's pretty important that the... New Marys get the same thing. We have money so we can fill many of our wants. We're frugal and we have good work principles. We do good work. And if we've been in an economy, a good economy for years, and we've made money. I can see it driving around. And I know it's way different 
Then 50 years ago, almost 50 years ago when Dublin was started, we were poor people. And I'm wondering, thinking about all this affluence, what are your children hearing? What are the children hearing? Living in a very nice, maybe a high dollar home, very nice ride to church in a vehicle that's up to date, nice name brand clothes, go to a nice school. We have all to eat we need and more. We have cash in the bank, groceries in the pantry, many more toys than our fathers ever thought of having. I was thinking about all this just not many days ago, and I got a call from a pastor friend in Nigeria. His name is Charles. And he was telling me of the hard times they're having in Nigeria. The economy, inflation has gone so high. A cup of rice that used to cost 300 naira, I think is their money. Now it's 500. And I forget exactly what he said the average day's wage is, but a man could only buy several cups of rice on the average wage. And here we are, and I have to be really careful that I don't eat too much. We have so much, while others have so little. What does this do to us? What does it do to our children? I asked him, I said, well, what about, what about meat? Do people eat meat? And he laughed and he, he calls me Papa. He said, oh, Papa, meat is only for the large people. People that had money, people that were big, it was a sign that they had money. And it's so easy for our children to grow up in this and then look down their noses at the poor. What are our thoughts when we come off of the ramp of the interstate and there's a man down there with a sign? I think I'm probably just as human as you and sometimes think, you know what? Everybody's making as much money there as I am today. And if he would only go to work, but you know what I'm really concerned about? I'm more concerned about our attitude about that man than I am about that man, whether he really needs it or not. Because I think that's the important part for us in building the kingdom. If we want to make sure that we don't waste any money by helping some perceived need, guess what? We won't help many people at all because we'll, we'll be afraid that we'll be bad stewards of this money that we worked hard for and God blessed us with. I would rather help somebody and find out later that it was wasted than to be a stingy person that hoarded the resources that God gave me and sat on them. And what are our children here? You know, recently I was thinking about all this in town. I was sitting at a light and I was thinking about this, you know, about our affluence and how it's affecting our young people. And all at once, sitting there in the light, there was a car, a vehicle came up beside me on the left. There wasn't any vehicle there. And I heard a <laughs> and it rolled to a stop. And I looked over there, and there was an old town and country minivan. And you know, you know what they're like. And this was an old, and it was beat up. The muffler at least had a hole in it. And it was just, you know, blum, 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 blum. And there were young people in it. And you know what I thought? I said, you would never see our Mennonite youngins in vehicle like that. But what do we think about those kind of people? 
Are we, are we up here? And what are we doing, parents, to show them, to model to them, so that we can build and these are, these are people that Jesus died for just as much as us who have worked hard and saved our money and all down that line. We're talking about building the kingdom as a family. And I'll tell you, an affluent family living in a lavish lifestyle without a heart for the less fortunate will do little in building the kingdom. Number five is to teach a value-based life, not a rule-based life. Teach a value-based life. And yes, you will need to keep external controls on your children like we were talking about. And I encourage you to keep the internal controls, keep the external controls on your children when they're young and keep them tight. And when they begin to learn to have internal controls, you start to release it. And then they have learned to be controlled from the inside. And when they learn that, oh, what a blessing. And you know what's going to happen when that child gets up about 15, 16 years old? You're going to loosen up those external controls anyway. It gets to the point where you can't keep them there. It's just the way it is. Teach children the Christian life is more than just keeping the rules. I heard a sister say recently that when she was young, people would ask her, well, why do you wear that thing on your head? You probably don't get that question much up here because it's so common to have something on your head in this community. But down south, where it's not many of us, that question comes up. Why do you wear that thing on? And she said, because the church says we have to. Please, young people, please, parents, teach your children why we do what we do. Why do we dress modest? Why do you wear a cape dress? Why do you wear a covering? Not a rule-based life, but a principle-based life. We do this because we love the Lord Jesus, because this is his word, and we want to follow him. And this is the way our church has directed that we're going to do it. It seems so simple, doesn't it, while we're preaching, but maybe it's harder when we get home. But teach a value-based life. Building the kingdom must come from the heart, and it must be exemplified in parents. It's more than legal requirements to be a church member. I've seen people that I think they thought that being a church member was kind of like a pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina. And if I can be a church member, that means that everything is okay. And I want to tell you, you can die and go to hell and be a member of a Mennonite church. That's not, that's not the defining line. It's more than the legal requirements of being a church member. So make applications to, of dress to be modest. And I think it is so sad when I see people, dads, moms, I guess maybe I'll be hard on moms this time. And when I see little girls and there's all kind of fashions and fancies on there that will never work when they come to church age. What are you going to tell them when they grow up a little bit and then they want to do that and you say, uh, 
Church says we can't do it. Bishop's going to get us. I want to tell you, you have just laid a very poor foundation. There won't be much building in the kingdom on that one. But if you can learn to dress your children with the principles in the word that should be dear to our heart, then as they grow up, oh yeah, you get to the time when the girls change and then they need a modest dress and we put the cape on it, but the principles are still there. They haven't known anything different from a baby. We love the principles of God's word. Teach a value-based life, not a rule-based life. Teach the value of respect for everyone, of every people group. Respect life, your leaders. Values. Number six, make your home a mission station. Make your home a mission station. One of the strongest witnesses of God's grace and one of the strongest ways to build the kingdom today is a home whose arms are open to all classes of people and races of needy people and willing to share what you have been given. That's a strong witness of God's grace. And again, I say we were blessed in that. It seemed like about always there was some needy soul. There was only, there was only nine children in our family, six boys and three girls. And it seemed like there was always somebody that needed help and, or somebody that needed a home. Dad and mom would take in people from far and around if they needed a home, would bring them in. So it was nothing unusual. In our families, we grew up to, to bring in people that were needy. Make your home a mission station. You can never wait till you have plenty of time and money and energy to reach out to needy souls. I would encourage you to use the dinner table to share the gospel and encourage others in the ways of the Lord. I don't know a better place to witness and build kingdom as a family than to invite a needy family over and sit around the table. But could I suggest that you talk about more than Democrats and the Republicans and the bad deals in Washington and all the evils of COVID and all those things. What an opportunity to talk about the kingdom of Christ where Jesus is the head and the word of God and living for him. I don't believe there's a better place to share the gospel and be in an effective way. Number seven is to keep focused. We are in the last days. There was a church sign recently that I really liked. All it said on it was, he told us of these days. He told us of these days. And I like that. What are the headlines now? War, earthquakes, violence. You look around and the fighting in the Middle East and fighting in Ukraine, Russia, unrest in, in this country. Anti-Semitism has gone up 400%, they tell us. He told us of these days. He said in the last days, perilous times would come. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. I'm Jesus in the three gospels where it records about the disciples asking him the question about the times of the end. He started out, take heed that no man deceives you. I'm telling you, keep 
focused. When you go hunting, you know what it is. If you get that big game in, your, in the scope and you don't want to take it off, you won't want to move. Your, you just want to see it until you... And that's what we need to do. Keep focused. Keep our eyes on Jesus. There's so many things that will detract and cause us to look away. Perilous times, Paul said there would be. Never before has man been able to keep up with things all around the world like he does today. Never before have ungodly movements been able to join together in a worldwide way in propagating evil. That's what makes it so perilous, I guess you would say. When a bad movement gets started and it's put on social media and it goes around the world and people in other countries that don't have a nickel in the dime, they're still going to get in there and start causing chaos, unrest. Well, how will you keep focused, your eyes unclouded? How will you keep valuing what God values and hating what God hates? I want to tell you here, I don't think I emphasized it like I should have, and I want to cover it now. But we need to be men and women of the Bible. We need, and if we're going to be men and women of the Bible, you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to read it. Know what's there. It's your go-to book. And so I encourage you, if you get too busy to read God's Word, you're too busy. I don't know any way around that. But be men and women of God's Word. And, and, and I really believe... You know, your appetite will grow for what you eat. I don't know if you come to the south and uh, down our way and eat. Y'all ever have boiled peanuts up here? Well, people come visit us and, you know, you start eating them. And sometimes people don't like them. But, not, and, but other people, say, well, they're okay. And, and, you know, a little bit later, then you, you grow your taste for it. It's the same for the Word of God. It's the washing of the water by the Word. Your taste will grow when you read the Word of God and it's rich, it's full, it's filling, it's, it's the light, it's our guide because it teaches us of the God of the Bible. And that's who we want to know. We need to know Him to keep focused. <clears throat> we call it kingdom building kingdom building keep focused on what you where you are with your family your responsibilities how you're reaching out i would like to suggest in closing another trinity there's a, there's a number of number of trinities i mean we think of the big trinity as is god the father the son and the holy spirit but there's another one that we need as we're building kingdom. And it is God, family, and our church community. We need to work together in this way to stay focused. We're in a wicked world. And I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to stand fast. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God bless you. God keep you. Stay faithful. 
And I hope if we come back another time, years down the road, I hope you're still building kingdom with your families. May God bless you.